with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. Gentlemen, we are just a little over two weeks away from the start of the NFL Draft. I'm Chris McPherson, joined as always by Fran Duffy and Bo Wolf. Fran, you getting a little nervous, a little anxious, excited? Uh, all the above. It's, uh, the clock's ticking, so excited to uh, to get closer. Okay. It's going to be a crunch for Fran to get through everybody. I know. Well, it's more getting ready. You know, we got Watch Eagle Eyes take. and Film Rooms and obviously Eagles Draft Central and all the stuff that we've got going on that week. So, Eagles Draft Central begins Wednesday, April 29th at 7.30 p.m. with our preview show. And then the live coverage begins Thursday, 7.30 p.m., one half hour before the NFL Draft. I will be in Chi-Town for it. You guys will be holding it down here at the Novacare Complex. Hopefully I'll be able to meet and uh, – Welcome the newest member of the Philadelphia Eagles. Hopefully. 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 Yeah. And don't forget, we'll also have two uh, episodes of Journey to the Draft that week. Of course. That's we'll right. have our, our mock draft spectacular. That's yes. Right. So it's, it's getting crunch time, though, for all of us here. That's right. Coming Clock's down taken. the stretch. So a great show for you today. We have Dan Hatman, a former Eagle scout. He worked in the front office for a couple different NFL teams. He is now the chairman of scouting development for the Scouting Academy. He's going to let us in on what it's like to work in the front office during a draft. And now that he's on the outside, what's it like reading and listening to all the media reports and you know contrasting that with what actually happens inside the draft room. But we're going to kick things off here with our Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. Our first bit of Eagles-related news, defensive end Cedric Thornton was re-signed to a one-year contract on Monday, starting defensive end, a former rookie free agent in 2011, uh, a very, very good starting defensive lineman. Hopefully the Eagles, there was a report that the Eagles are trying to work out a long-term deal, and you would hope that they would get it done with Thornton, who has been a reliable, steady force, not as flashy as a Fletcher Cox, uh, but very good run defender, dependable guy, great locker room guy, all around a guy that you want to see rewarded for his play. Absolutely. And uh, the, the inside baseball to it was we, we after filming the film room uh, on Monday, Fran, Greg, and I went to uh, Chickie's for lunch, and there was Cedric Thornton. There he was. His agent came. He was signing some papers. We were, we were there for it all. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You could have taken the picture. That's right. You could have had the We could have had the scoop. Yeah, I mean, you got to be excited for Cedric, We respected too. the process. Absolutely. Uh, so congrats to Ced, and uh, glad to help you for another year. One other eagle is still in – a restricted free agent, and that's running backs Chris Polk, and then uh, Jeff Mail's an exclusive rights free agent. I think Brad Smith is the only remaining Correct. unrestricted free agent if uh, you're keeping track out there. Let's look at some of the reported pre-draft visits for the Eagles leading up to the draft. A couple Penn Staters, safety Adrian Amos. We've talked about him uh, frequently on the program here. Fits into that versatile cornerback yes. safety mold. Um Seems like what the Eagles covet in a safety class that's perceived as not being very strong. He could be selected higher maybe than anticipated, but nonetheless, uh, the Eagles keeping their eye out on these versatile defensive backs. Yeah, I like Amos. Had started for a year and a half at cornerback before moving to safety. Uh, has that versatility you talked about. A willing tackler, 
maybe a little bit slender, but but for the most part has an NFL body. Get him into a weight room, I think uh, he would have that. I think uh, I think he's a, a solid mid round pick. Yeah, and I think that's why he's a solid mid round pick. Is that you know he's obviously a little bit on the smaller side, uh, isn't the most aggressive run defender, but he's got all the abilities to play on the back end. Uh, can cover the slot, so shows a lot of ability in terms of his athletic traits uh, to be the kind of interchangeable safety that would fit the Eagles' defense. And the Penn State tackle Donovan Smith also reported pre-draft visit for the Eagles. Yeah, it was a redshirt junior that uh, declared and was at the uh, was at the Senior Bowl. We talked to him at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, big kid moves moves pretty well. I, I think he's pretty impressive, but I think he'll be a mid-round pick in this tackle class just because it's so many tackles at the top. Looks the part, definitely. Yeah. No question. Another offensive line prospect, Lyle Collins. Reportedly in for a pre-draft visit. Uh, molded his game after Jason Peters, uh, former LSU player. Uh, projected first-round selection. Could move inside a guard potentially early on if, if asked upon. Uh, asked to be. But, you know, one of these it's, – it's interesting because it'll be interesting to see how the tackles sort out on draft, draft night, which guys are selected where, how they end up being ranked. By the teams. If you're looking for that guy who can who can start at right guard next year and then eventually move to tackle whenever in the future uh, Jason Peters moves on, Lyle Collins could definitely be that guy. I like him a lot, and if the Eagles take him at 20, I'd be I'd be happy. Yeah, I think that that would be a good pick at 20. You know, a guy that's really really good in the run game, and that that's his strength. Uh, showed the ability to have you know that he has the feet to be able to play tackle, uh, but he played guard for a couple seasons there yeah. at LSU, so he's got the experience inside. Um, you know, like I said, I don't think there's too much needs to be said about Lyle Collins. He's one of the best tackle prospects in the draft. All right, let's move on to some quarterback discussion. The Eagles reportedly put UCLA quarterback Brett Hundley through a private workout. To me, no surprise because Chip Kelly actually said at the annual meetings that there's only a handful of quarterback prospects. Right. Why not take the time, invest that time to get to know these guys and to put them through the game and do as much as you can with them. Yeah, I mean, so. what else is Ryan Day going to be doing through this draft process? He's He's got about 10 quarterbacks to check out. Might as well check them out thoroughly. And that's why, I mean, every team, we've talked about this in the past, every team is going to look through every single quarterback, regardless of whether or not you have a need or not, because, you know, if the opportunity comes in the third round or if the opportunity comes in the fifth round, you know, whatever it is, you want to, if there's a quarterback there that you're ready to take, you know, you want to be able to make sure that you've done the homework on them. Speaking of quarterbacks at the top of the draft, now this is more of a league-wide NFL draft uh, buzz item here. The Mariota-Winston, Winston-Mariota debate rages on. There are some camps in the media who think it's a lock that Winston's going to go number one to Tampa, and there's some, like Ron Jorsky of ESPN, and others who believe Mariota will end up being the guy. And this will have immense ramifications because I think it's been long presumed by most that Winston would be the guy and then what happens with Mariota starting with number two to Tennessee? If, you know, Mariota goes to number one in Tampa Bay, all of a sudden, what's going to happen at that number two spot? Well, listen, I've been saying all along that I do not believe that Jameis Winston is going to be the number one pick. I think it's going to be Mariota. So I'm glad that everybody else is catching up to the Wolfman. But uh, if he goes, if Mariota goes one, it's Winston schematically is a great fit for for Wisenhunt. Uh, he wouldn't seem like it would make sense for Tennessee. But if he doesn't go one, I think you know the reason that he's not going one is some of the off-field stuff, um, and he may fall even further than that. I don't know. He could, you know. You might be San right. Diego, something yeah, like that. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, you're looking at a lot of these teams that 
uh, you would question, oh, well, would Mariota be a fit there? Now it's the, the tables are turned, and would a pro-style guy like Jameis Winston uh, be what John Fox is looking for in Chicago to replace Jay Cutler? Uh, could it be the, the guy that Sean Payton wants to develop for uh, to replace Drew Brees down the road? There's all these different teams at that area of the draft that – could potentially pick a, a Jameis Winston. So I do not think New Orleans is the best spot for Jameis Winston. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. But, um, you know, I, the the interesting thing with me with Tampa Bay is their offensive line last year was a mess. And, you know, they had a lot of trouble protecting the quarterback. So if it is Jameis Winston, who's not the greatest athlete, who has enough trouble, you know, getting away from, uh, from pressure, I, I mean, he's going to be under fire uh, early on in his career there in Tampa Bay. Whereas Marcus Mariota, you know, much like in Seattle, where they're able to kind of hide some of those deficiencies with Russell Wilson, uh, with all the different things you can do in the run game, you know, Mariota might be able to hide some of that. So I'll be really interested to see not only who they take, but then after that, you know, how does it impact that offense? We've also got the Dirk Cutter, Mark Helfrich connection. No question. Uh, yep. Those guys worked together for I think seven straight years. So Cutter's going to know everything there is to know about Mariota, thanks to Helfrich. So I don't know. It, it really it makes it makes so much more sense for them to take Mariota than it makes sense for them to take Winston, I believe. And I'm just going to be fascinated to see what happens with number two. Yeah. Does Tennessee take Winston, or do they auction off that number two spot and does someone, maybe a yeah. team we're not thinking of, move up to be able to get Winston number two? No so, doubt. Very fascinating. Uh, quarterback, I am relating the Eagles here. The Eagles reportedly showing interest in Garrett Grayson, Colorado State, and there's a connection that Jim McElwain, who's now the coach of Florida, was a coach of Colorado State, uh, was at Alabama at the same time while Ed Manowitz was there. For people that are looking for conspiracy theories. Very good prospect. I think Fran's third rated quarterback. Um, It doesn't seem like the ideal fit, but neither did Nick Foles. Uh, And it's the same thing we were talking about before. The Eagles are going to are going to check in on every single quarterback in this draft. So if he's a good prospect, they're gonna they're gonna take a close look. Yeah, I mean, in a quarterback class that obviously we've talked about isn't the strongest. Uh, Grayson shows some pro traits. I mean, he'll stand and work in the pocket. Uh, he works well under pressure. He throws with anticipation. He makes tight window throws. He's pretty accurate. He's got a decent arm. So uh, he's kind of a rare breed now in what these college quarterbacks look like coming out of that level. Uh, you know, I, that's why I think Grayson is a very attractive option for teams looking for a passer. Next time here, Joel Klatt from Fox Sports. College football analyst as Sean Mannion as the safest quarterback in this year's draft class. Mannion broke a bunch of uh, Pac-12 records that were previously held by Matt Barkley. Yeah, I think the safest in terms of NFL teams going up against Sean Mannion, they're, they're, they can rest easy that he's not going to score points <laughs> on them. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago when we talked about safe versus upside. I mean, it depends on what your definition of safe is. Uh, you know, he came he, from a pro-style offense. throw the ball away. Uh, I, mean. I mean, look, Sean Mannion, he played in a pro-style offense, you know, showed some traits where, you know, maybe he could succeed in that kind of area, but he doesn't have a great arm. Uh, his accuracy was up and down. Uh, he's not a great athlete. So, there, you know, you're kind of checking the boxes. like, okay, well, you know, he's a smart football player, but, uh, you know, how much upside does he have? So, you know, that's the question. Right. Not much. Time for a little... Mock draft man is here. Uh, Pierre Schrager from Fox Sports has his latest mock. He did a two-round mock. Okay. It's getting to be that time of year when it, everyone's expanding. You're tired of doing the one-round mock, sure. so you got to go two rounds. And he, the seven-rounders. Those will pump the brakes there, Fran. They happen. I know, I know they happen. As early as December. Uh, he has Byron Jones to the Eagles at number 20, the cornerback from UConn. Count it. And Danelle Hunter, the edge rusher. Interesting. In the second round, number 52. 
I like I like the I mean Danell Hunter I think he's kind of getting a little bit of a bad rap obviously because you got this edge rusher class uh, that's obviously is very highly touted a uh, number of guys that people think will be productive edge rushers and you know and sack guards coming in the NFL uh, Danell Hunter I think had three sacks as a junior at LSU so a lot of people are wondering okay well if I think the it was just one and there, a half it may have been, it may have been three career sacks yeah. whatever whatever the number was um, you know the production just wasn't there uh, but when you look at him he's got all the athletic traits uh, I think that his he doesn't have a natural feel for a pass rush. He doesn't always look like he's got a plan <clears throat> when he's appro- when he's attacking offensive tackles, but he shows the ability to go speed to power. He shows the ability to have a spin move when he beats corners or, or tackles around the edge. So he's got the ability to do it. He just hasn't put it all together yet. So uh, he's a guy, if he puts it all together, he could be a very productive player. And he's also good against the run? He's good against the run. He uses yeah. his arms very well. Okay. Uh, he locks out against tackles. And, you know, you look at Barkevius Mingo came out of LSU. That's what he's turned into for Cleveland. He's been a good run defender for them, not necessarily the pass rusher they hoped for, you know, taking him that high in the first round. But, uh, you know, Hunter could be a similar player. Would you be surprised if he's there at 52? No, I don't think I'd be surprised. No, I think that's good value for him there. Yeah, I don't think – I think that that's, a, that's right around where he'll go. Yeah, I think so. Our last draft buzz item comes from Mike Mayock, NFL Network. He has eight first-round grades on the wide receivers this year. We've, wow. I mean, we've talked how this year's class is really not that much different than last year's amazing rookie class of wide receivers. Eight first-round grades is quite a bit, though. That's a lot. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a lot. What do you think? Cooper, White, Perryman, Parker. Strong. Strong. Funches. Funches. Dor- Smith, Dorsett. Dorsett. DGB. Coates. DGB. Coates. Uh, there's, no, there's a number of guys that could be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and look, we've talked about this in the past, too. Kenny was, Bell. <laughs> Kenny Bell, Trey McBride. Um, you know, it depends on what teams are looking for. I would be very surprised if eight went in the first round this year. But, yeah. you know, of course. there's going to be a run somewhere. And we've talked about that, too, is, you know, where is the run going to happen? And what position? That's, is it that's gonna a be big a, question. Is it going to be that a corner? Is, is it going to be a receiver? Is it going to be edge rusher, tackles? You know, there's going to be one of those, one or two of those runs at certain positions. Uh, to close out round one. All right, that's going to do it for our draft buzz. Now let's bring in our Mr. Relevant, Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy. It's time for Mr. Relevant. This week's Mr. Relevant on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, former Eagle Scout, now the chairman of scouting development for the Scouting Academy. Earn your degree in football at Scouting Academy. Dot com, none other than Dan Hatman. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us during the very, very busy lead-up to the NFL draft. Oh, it's a great time of year, guys. Great time of year. So, Dan, this episode we're trying to focus on the front office aspect of the NFL draft. And with just a little over two weeks left to go, what is going on in front offices? What are these couple weeks like? in terms of getting ready for the draft? Well, you've just finished up, for the most part, the vast majority of pro days, unless a player was injured and, and uh, postponed it. Uh, those are done. We're going to have the medical rechecks here in Indianapolis. Uh, so the vast majority of information that you needed to go collect uh, is pretty much in. Maybe you're finishing up your last 5 to 10 pre-draft visits. Each team has those 30 that they can leverage. Um, but you're hitting a point here where you're going to want to pull all your all your key personnel in, and you're going to finish up uh, reviewing your board and trying to put the hay in the barn, so to speak. Uh, you're going to lock and load this thing here soon, and then you kind of want to leave it alone up to the draft. 
uh, tinkering too late in the process can actually get you away from where you where you need to be. Let's let's talk about that board, I guess, Dan. And I know you've been uh, with a few different teams, but uh, in general, tell us tell us about the board. When is it first made? Uh, how much change does it see throughout the draft process? How many players are on uh, particular teams' boards? How is it stacked? Tell us, uh, give give us the rundown on on the board. Sure. So the board is definitely a living document uh, for a good period of time here, from late fall. You know, think about your Thanksgiving window up now until this point. And what's happening from that really, I would say, November through probably the combine window is you're getting the rest of your evaluators engaged in the process. So during the fall, your area scouts, your national prospect, your college director, uh, ideally your GM if they have the time, are watching uh, a segment of players. So your area scouts are out there obviously looking at everybody in their area, trying to understand who fits the team's profile and who does not. Your upper-level people might be just watching those uh, players who have come in with a fourth-round grade or above, kind of using the scouts as a filtering mechanism to allocate their time because as a decision-maker you need to be efficient in how you're attacking the process. Then once you hit that, like I said, Thanksgiving window, now we're getting ready for uh, college all-star games and the bowl games and that whole season. Obviously, once you hit the, the end of the NFL season, your coaches are getting involved. Um, you know, your, your GM and your decision-makers have more time to dive into this stuff, and you're shifting from the collection of film evaluations into all the other uh, bits and pieces that make up, you know, this evaluation of a human being. So we're going to Indy. We're obviously looking at the medical. We're doing interviews. We're trying to get the character, uh, addressing a little bit of how they move on the field just to see certain traits. Um, and you're just getting more people involved in the process during that time. So, yes, there can be changes uh, during that, depending on what information was uncovered um, as you integrate more people uh, into that segment. So how much does the board change, would you say, throughout the process from Thanksgiving to when the draft happens? Will players go up and down, say, rounds? I mean, how drastic does it change? Because in the media, you read about risers and fallers. How real is that in the front office realm? It's, it's not as real as it's, it's made out to be. Um, more often than not, what's happening on the outside is new information is being, for lack of a better term, leaked. And so now on the outside, we're hearing what teams might have been thinking for two, three months. So it's not necessarily that players are drastically rising or falling. They were probably in that realm within 20-plus picks, you know, plus or minus, um, the whole time. And really what's happening is unless someone is going to get a massive red flag from a medical or a character standpoint during the spring where you're removing them from the board or drastically dropping them, um, not a whole lot of guys are moving down. And to the same degree, not a lot of guys are moving up, per se. Um, you might have someone that your area guy had a undrafted free agent grade on, and he goes out to the combine, and he runs a 4-4, and now instead of just the area guy, three other scouts went and evaluated the player, and now maybe you have a sixth-round grade on the guy. Um, or you had someone in the third round um, who was from a small school, and now you get to see him at the Senior Bowl. And you got to see him, you know, compete against other players at a different level of competition. And this individual held their own. You go back and you watch the film, and you're recognizing the traits that you saw really are transferable against different level of competition. And maybe that player becomes a second round player. But we're really only moving within, like I said, plus or minus 20 picks, ideally, unless you know just 
some kind of outlier comes up. And so then by the time you get to draft day, how many how many players are on a, a particular team's board? Really depends on the organization. You know, I've heard teams that want to have 150. That's it. We're going to get down to our 150. And by the end of the draft, when you're signing and drafted for agents, there are still guys that will be on your board that you know you can sign as undrafted for agents because teams just get so varied after probably the top 60 picks in terms of what they like from a skill set perspective. Other teams are more broad. Um, I've been in draft rooms where there was almost 300 players still on the final board uh, because there was some difficulty in whittling down in certain areas because the profiles were more um, open. You know, if you have very specific player profiles for what you're looking for in every position, you can get very granular. You can really narrow the thing down. If you're open and you think you can leverage a larger variety of skill sets, then your board reflects that. Dan, we talked about the you know the, the process of players moving up and down the board, and we talked about pro days. Working on the inside of a team, and just take us into the mind of, okay, when you're looking out at the media reports and, uh, and what's being reported about certain players and who's visiting with who and uh, who's interested in who, who's giving the private workouts, uh, how much credence do you pay to those reports? Is there a lot of attention that's being paid uh, to what's going on on the outside? More often than not, you're tracking and trending positional um, needs for a team. So actually one of my jobs my first year in Philly was to track all the visits and all the workouts and any information that became public. I had a massive document in regards to every player. And we weren't, in going back and analyzing all that data, we were not looking to try to identify exactly what player a team might be in love with because there's so many different angles to every workout, every pre-draft visit. More often than not, we were looking for positions. So, you know, this year you're seeing uh, a large interest from the Eagles, from a media perspective, in wide receivers, whether it be workouts or pre-draft visits. They've looked at a large variety. So as you're sitting on the outside and you're trying to study, oh, what would the Eagles do this year, you're looking at that and saying, well, it's clear that they're going to address wide receiver, or they would like to if the board falls to them in that manner. They would like to address wide receiver in this draft. In terms of identifying one specific one, unless you have some just unbelievable insight uh, from an area scout or an executive on that team where they just let something slip, you usually can't pinpoint it to that level. And then how about just from a pro day standpoint, when you see, uh, let's, say, let's take a guy like Brashad Perryman, for instance, obviously couldn't work out at the Combine. Uh, he goes to his pro day and he blows up, and all the media now are freaking out about how high he's soaring and everyone's calling him a workout warrior, whereas a lot of teams maybe thought about him uh, in that realm to begin with. Work, you know, when you're on the inside looking out and you see people freaking out about uh, workout numbers, you know, what is your reaction? Do you kind of laugh at that stuff, or what is your reaction when you see those kind of reports? Sure. The thing that comes to mind is that uh, I was a psych major in college, and so there was always this uh, concept they were trying to get across where human beings will create narratives to justify just about anything. We're very, very good at justifying our own opinions. So what happens is during the fall, you're watching the film, you're either fall, kind of falling in love with a player, so to speak, or you're deciding you don't like a guy. And so by the time, if you've watched a player, you study them and put a grade on them, you pretty much know that based on the film before we hit the combine and the pro days. So once those events occur, if you, let's say you were a guy that liked Perriman on the film, right? you believed in it, you saw the skill set, you saw transferable skills, now he goes out and runs that. 
well, now you're beating your chest because you're like, I saw all these great things that I thought he can do, and now look at him athletically. He's the full package. This is a guy we really like. This is why I had him this high. If you didn't like the film on Perriman, maybe you had him in like the third round or the fourth round or something like that, you're looking at that and you're saying, oh, well, well come on now. It's a hand-timed thing. In fact, if you break down the film frame by frame, there's an argument that he really only ran a 4.36, and the guys just got excited on their stopwatches. Maybe we're missing the boat here on the time. You know, athletic ability doesn't translate to the film. Go back and watch the film. You can you can really spin it either way, and that's a lot of the times what happens with these athletic events after the season is it's, it's just a justification mechanism for if you liked the guy or if you didn't. Whatever your preconceived notion was going in, you're going to leverage that to try to justify it retroactively, which can be disastrous to your end results. Uh, Dan, to circle back on um, you know the, the, the massive document you had uh, with all the other teams' needs and stuff like that, this is a, a question that, that's always sort of fascinated me. In the lead-up to the draft, how many how many mock drafts are are uh, you guys doing? How many scenarios are you going through? Take us through that process in terms of uh, you know how many how many different things you have to think about. How many times you sort of run through the the practice rounds of of the actual draft? Yeah, in a, in a small group you do. It's not something you're going to necessarily do with every scout. But once you have your final board and you have your grades established, then you're stepping back and you're trying to or you should be at least, then looking at um, the market value of players and what we, where we think certain guys will fall. Um, let's say, you know, the Eagles are sitting at 20. There's a guy that you like that you, you, know, you have a true first-round grade on, and if you're looking at you know, all the stuff that's out there on where he might go, the highest you see him go is 9, the lowest you see him go is 16, and so now you're you know, going to start preparing yourself if you're in the mode of, you know, we might trade up because we have to go get a player like this. Now, yes, you're starting to mock up all the different scenarios. What would it take for us to get to nine? How could this fall? What, you know, what's the lowest we think he's going to go? Uh, and, yeah, you, you start working through those things um, as best you can because you, you really don't want to be caught off guard. You always will be. There's things that happen in the draft. that just like, wow, okay, didn't expect that. Um, but more often than not, you're trying to be prepared for every eventuality. So this kind of gets back to something that I've seen you talk about on Twitter. I've seen Lewis Riddick, who I know is one of the professors for uh, the Scouting Academy, talk about on Twitter, and that's valuation versus evaluation. Uh, can you just talk about that that uh, that theory and just w- what goes into that? It's something that you know we've we've kind of spent years kicking around and discussing, and something we believe firmly in, and that is there's a larger pool of individuals who can evaluate football players and identify traits and study the film and understand how this guy might perform. There's a very, very select group of people that can look at all the mental, all the physical, all of the position-specific, all of the character, all of the medical, all of the economic factors, your current cap situation, your current roster construction, how your coaches affect the process, what their value systems are, who they want to work with, market forces, all of that, and apply proper value to these players. It's an incredibly, incredibly hard thing to do. Uh, unfortunately, not every person who's in the decision-making uh, capacity is good at it. It's the unfortunate reason why certain people don't keep their jobs for very long, despite maybe being a good evaluator. The valuation piece kind of escapes them. Um, and so what we've been kind of talking about is instead of asking someone who's going to be new to this space 
or is it a lower level, or maybe even your area guy? Because uh, unfortunately, teams don't divulge every single bit of information to everybody in the organization. It just doesn't happen, right? Most of the the good stuff is kept between a group of maybe three to six people more often than not. So instead of asking your area guy, who maybe doesn't have all the answers to all those points I just laid out, to place a final value on a player and tell me what round he's going to go in and all that, well, that individual can't do that accurately because he doesn't have all the information and may not be able to process it even if he did. So why don't we ask individuals who are great evaluators to stick to that part? Tell me how he run blocks. Tell me how he pass blocks. Tell me about his hand use, his athletic ability. Tell me about his pad level, his toughness. You can grade all those things. But then we're going to take that information and a, a smaller group of people are going to work on valuing that person and determining where we would want to spend our resources to acquire them. Because I don't sit here today and try to act like I could value players. There's still things that I would want to learn, would want to know that I don't know as I sit here today um, that would keep me from necessarily being an expert uh, valuer of players, but I can evaluate. So we've just been pushing people to step back and, and really uh, kind of delineate between those who should be evaluating traits and those who should be valuing the whole player. Dan, to follow up on that, you were a psych major. Do you think that scouts nowadays are asked to do too much of the off-the-field evaluation as part of the total evaluation? So it's not just what does he do on tape, what kind of physical traits will he bring to the NFL. It's you're also asking these people who maybe aren't experts in the off-the-field matters to do the character assessments, to ask those types of questions to try to get the complete profile. Yeah, your, your college area scouts, are a unique blend. So you're going to have between six, maybe eight of them per team, and they are going to live not. They're going to live in a city that's not the hometown of the franchise. They're not coming to the office every day. They're not interacting with the coaching staff. They're not always interacting with the general manager face to face. They're traveling in their car from college town to college town, studying players. When they get there, they're meeting with your academic advisors. You're meeting with position coaches. You're meeting with trainers. You're meeting with maybe a dean, maybe a support staff person. Um, you're obviously watching the film, you're watching practice, you're trying to glean all this information. You're a private detective, you're a psychologist, you're an evaluator, you're a data collector, um, and you're trying to send that all back to the, you know, the building, the home office, so that your decision makers can leverage that in the process. And I agree that that can be incredibly hard for one person to do all of that well. Um, and to your point, there are times where you might have someone out there who can do really good film work but maybe doesn't have uh, the emotional intelligence to know how to dive deeper with the trainer to understand about this player's competitive toughness as it pertains to will they or won't they perform through pain, which may be something that your franchise values, that we want a guy that understands the difference between playing hurt and playing injured, and you know, we need to know if this guy is going to go out there with a tweaked-up ankle, we're going to be able to take him up and play, or if he's going to sit out for four weeks, we're going to miss him. Uh, and not everybody can do that. And so, yeah, I think that if teams are really going to be good uh, in improving their own process, they need to self-scout a little bit like your coaching staff does, uh, self-scout their evaluation process, and learn the strengths and weaknesses of their people and stop assuming that everybody can do everything. So, Dan, now that you've seen it from both sides of the spectrum, on the inside and on the outside, uh, just looking at from the media's point of view, how hard is it to, you know, because it's not like when you're on a team and you're you're running a 3-4 or you're running a zone-blocking scheme. You know, on the media side, you're looking at all these players uh, almost outside of a vacuum where, you know, they could fit multiple different schemes and everyone's trying to rank these guys against each other where 
uh, you know, maybe they, you know, certain teams wouldn't look at them that way. Uh, how hard is it on the outside to kind of look at these players? Let's say edge rush, for instance, and look, you know, try and uh, differentiate guys between four three, three four, DN linebacker, you know, three technique, five technique, uh, all the different uh, different variances there. Oh, very much so. And you know, de- depending on who your audience is, if you're on the outside and trying to provide this information, um, you might be spending more time worrying about the market of this player and where they might be taken as opposed to how they fit with teams. And so really on the outside, I've seen two camps. You have market analysts who are providing information that they're sourcing from their team sources as to where this player might be taken. And so they're calling up their buddies who scout and they're saying, hey, where do you have this guy? Do you like this guy here? Would you take him there? Do you think this team will take him there? Yada, yada, yada. And they're just providing that kind of market stuff, you know, stuff that you would see on Bloomberg if we are talking about stocks. And you have a group of people on the outside who are doing evaluation and they're studying traits and they're talking about how guys fit into systems and and what they provide to teams. And it's almost two distinct camps. I haven't found too many people that are bridging the gap between both at an incredibly high level because, once again, it's a a very hard thing to do. So on the outside, like I said, you're kind of in one or the other. If you're in the evaluation camp and you're out there and you're trying to explain to people where guys might fit into teams, um, I've been advocating that people start subcategorizing. And instead of just having one big stack of defensive tackles, let's split them down between your three techniques and the guys that are one-gap penetrators um, and are going to have some deficiencies in other areas versus your players um, who might be playing at your one technique, more of your nose tackle, um, two-down run stuffer types versus your two-gap guys who can play in the breastplate, lock out leverage, find the ball, shed, tackle. Um, versus those that bring pass rush, versus guys that can do all of it. You know, start subcategorizing it a little bit because if the fan base is out there and they're just interested in trying to understand that, they'll, I, I believe that they'll get more out of seeing those subcategories and they will be one massive list of D tackles where the top three guys aren't a scheme fit at all and then they're confused as to why their team didn't take one of the quote-unquote top three guys. Last question for you, Dan, is uh, a little bit later on the podcast we're going to do our pick six and we're going to look at players who – could be selected higher or lower than expected in the upcoming draft. Do you have a name that maybe stands out to you of someone who is not being talked about on the outside who you think might go way higher than people think or lower? Um, a player, from my exposure, that I've really liked that I don't see his name up there with the other ones is Kevin Johnson, the corner from Wake Forest. Um, you know, Kevin does a, can do a lot of things at corner both off and press or a variety of different alignments and techniques that very few other corners in this draft do. I mean, everybody's pointing to a Marcus Peters as maybe being the best. If you're, if you're asking your guys to simply press and carry routes and do things like that, Marcus can be functional. If you're going to ask Marcus to play off, he struggles a lot more in those areas. Jalen Strong um, tore him up pretty good when he played with Cushion. So, you know, that's a guy right there in Johnson that I think could go higher uh, from league circles than you're seeing in other areas. Uh, The unique one this year is the defensive line. Um, There are just not as many impact day one high-end performers as people being led to believe. There's a lot of quality players out there, Um, a lot of guys who can get into a rotation, give meaningful snaps, uh, maybe start successfully and be solid. Uh, But I'm not seeing nearly as many impact defensive lineman as uh, is being made out to, be, to believe. Dan Hatman, chairman of scouting development for the Scouting Academy. Learn more 
about it at scoutingacademy.com. Sign up for one of their classes. You can follow Dan on Twitter at Dan underscore Hatman. Dan, thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. No problem, guys. Thank you. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, this week on Pick 6, we're going to discuss players who could be selected higher or lower than are projected by the draft Knicks out there. We just heard Dan Hatman and his thoughts on who some of those players might be. Now we're Significantly. I mean, everyone could be drafted higher, will be yes. drafted higher or lower than we think. Oh, yes. but yeah. We're doing some valuation here. Yes, exactly. Dan would put it. Uh, Fran, would you like to kick things off Yeah, this I'll week? kick things off. Uh, you know, the first guy I want to talk about was a guy that I think early in the process, when you talk early last fall, people were pretty high on. And obviously there were some off-field issues that kind of put him off the radar a little bit. That's Frank Clark from Michigan. He's an edge rusher. Uh, lined up in a two-point stance, a three-point stance, has some scheme versatility. What really impresses me about him is just his ability to attack blockers a number of different ways. He can win with a spin move. He can win with a speed rush. Uh, he can go speed to power. He's got a really good cl- uh, arm over move. So uh, brings a lot of versatility from that sense. Defends the run really well. Obviously, the off-field concerns are going to affect how you know how high or how low he gets drafted and how teams feel about that, much like you know Doriel Green-Beckham, who we've talked about in the past. Uh, but Frank Clark is very, very impressive. If you took off, the, if you took away the off-field issues, I think he'd be a first or second round pick. Like I, I, I think very highly of, of, of Frank Clark. Now, yeah. wasn't he recently? I don't want to say cleared, but the charges were reduced. Yeah, the charges were reduced. So. And, but you know, and, and those kind of things. You, you just, I think every team's going to do their homework and decide. Okay, well, you know, what's what's really happened there. So you are saying that he will go higher than than people. I expect. think he'll go higher than people are talking about now. That may change over the next couple of weeks. He may get some buzz now that these charges have changed and. You know, maybe he'll be thrown in as a oh, watch out for him and you know in round two. But is it Frank Clark or Clark Frank? It is Frank Clark. Um, Are you sure? Yes. And the the second guy uh, I want to talk about is also from the Big Ten, another D lineman, uh, Bobby Richardson from Indiana. Uh, he's 6'3", 283 pounds. Be rich. Yeah, and he played as a five technique and a three four there for Indiana, two hundred eighty three pounds. So a little bit out of position uh, as a two gap defensive end. I think he's more of a one gap three technique. Really athletic guy. Tested well at the combine. Uh, really good first step, short area quickness. Uh, really, really impressive. You know, impressed me from what I saw. And you're not hearing his name really at all. I think he could go in you know in the second or third round area, and he'll be one of those names that everyone hears. And who's that guy? Uh, Richardson, I think, is is impressive. Okay, how many rounds do you think he'll go before someone is drafted that you're not familiar with? It usually happens in like the fifth round. What was it last year? There were only like ten guys or something like that. Who was the first guy? Uh, I forget who the first guy was. Last, you know the. I think it was 2012. Yeah, the 2012 draft, it was Dennis Kelly. Yeah. I hadn't first watched round. him. He was the first yeah. round, and he was, what, the fifth round, right? Yeah. yeah. That's so. what that's Dennis Kelly made me think of this, that's right. this topic. So. Um, all right, so then my, uh, my third guy, Derek Malone, the linebacker from Oregon. Uh, on the smaller side, he's 6'2", 220 pounds. He was a starter in 2013 inside for them in the 3-4. Uh, he was their nickel linebacker this year. We played a ton because of how much they were in their sub packages. But really athletic guy. You look at a guy like uh, Danny Trevathan out of Kentucky a few years ago who's turned into a starter there for the Broncos. Uh, can play in all different kinds of coverages in man and zone. Uh, I think he's physical. He's instinctive. He has a lot of different traits. He wasn't invited to the combine. Um, so people really aren't talking about him as anything more than an undrafted free agent. But I wouldn't be surprised if he went off the board in you know, round five, round six, and you know, played a role early on because I think he's got the ability to be able to be a sub-package player early. That's why I love Fran because I know he's going to find those late-round guys who could elevate to the mid-rounds. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, Der- I-, I like Derek. We Malone. do have two fifth-round picks. That's right. That's true. That's a good point. 
Um, so yeah, so that's those are the three guys that I think will go higher than uh, what people are projecting. The, the three lowers, the three guys that I think could go lower. Uh, we'll start with Shane Ray out of Missouri. Um, a lot of people are talking about as early as you know, even the third overall pick to Jacksonville. A lot of people have pegged him number eight to Atlanta. Uh, I I see a guy. Look, he's got some traits that you really really like. The high motor is great. Uh, the snap anticipation, the first step is great. He tested very well on the explosive numbers. He ran a good 40 at his, at his pro day. So uh, there are traits there that are first-round level traits. The questions are, once he's blocked, you know, can, can he counter? Can he win with a counter move? Uh, will he always be able to win off the snap in the NFL? That's going to be a big question. Can he play the run consistently? Uh, and if you're going to take a guy in the top 10, I think there's are questions that are, you know, are worth having, especially when you look at some of the other edge rushers in this group. Um, so... Look, I, Shane Ray may not be a top ten pick. He may end up going in the twenties, and that, and then, you know, in there, that might that might be his true value, uh, you know, and he may fall even lower. So that'll be an interesting one to see uh, as we get closer to draft day. Is he is he uh, scheme diverse? Do you think he could be both a three four outside linebacker and a, and a defensive end in a four three? I guess it just depends on what you're going to ask him to do in the three four. You know, because uh, he's got the athleticism, I think, to be able to to play standing up and the question will be if he's a defensive end he's probably gonna have to get bigger so he can hold up you know playing out of the three-point stance so uh you know obviously it depends on team to team because not any you know one three four isn't the same to another three four but uh you know i I think he could play in either scheme it would just be a matter of what role is he gonna play um my my next guy and chris is gonna hit you a little hard i'm sorry uh but eli harold out of virginia (sighs) six three 250 pounds i know he was your favorite interview at the combine he was I was very surprised by his combine numbers because I didn't know, you know, I thought he moved pretty well on tape at Virginia, but I didn't think that he was an all-world athlete. And he finished in the top five uh, amongst edge rushers in pretty much every single drill. Um, so I was pretty surprised by that. I didn't think he played to that all the time. Uh, as a pass rusher, I thought the, the switch kind of flipped. Sometimes he looked like he had a plan and he was able to attack blockers and attack tackles in a number of different ways. Other times it looked like he was just okay being blocked and, uh, you know, didn't really uh, show the ability to get off. So... You know, some people think he could be a first-round pick. I, I don't see that at all. I would be surprised if he went that high. So uh, we'll see what happens with Eli Harold. It's it is Eli Harold, right? Not Harold. Not Eli. Harold Eli. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm glad that my sixth guy. You can't ask that question for. Uh, and that's Ronald Darby, the cornerback out of Florida State. Uh, oh, he'll still ask it. He'll ask it probably. But five eleven, one ninety three, ran a four three two at the at the uh, at the the combine, and that kind of put him on the map for people. He's an underclassman, uh, scheme diverse because he's got long arms and he's got athleticism. Uh, so people can you know, project into an off coverage scheme to a press coverage scheme. Uh, you know, I see him and I see a guy like Justin Gilbert, honestly, from Oklahoma State a year ago who uh, went early, went in the top 10, had all the athletic traits, had the physical traits, but didn't always translate that to the field. Uh, Darby, some people say could be a surprise first round pick, could be a second round pick. I don't know that in this cornerback class, especially that he's going to go that high. All right. Uh, there's a lot of guys who I think are going to like go a little bit higher, a little, a little bit lower, like. You know, I, I think Danny Shelton is not gonna doesn't have a chance to be a top ten pick. Some people think he could he could go that high. I think Todd Gurley is gonna go higher than than some people might expect. Sure. But I'm trying to go with with some other one. And I think you know Landon Collins I think is gonna go a little lower. T.J. Clemmings I think will go a little higher. But those are varying degrees. Um, Byron Jones I will start with. So now that you've said eight players, let's go through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, those are varying degrees. These are a little higher. Um, and Byron Jones I want to put on here just so we can also talk about. Uh, the little Twitter spat with, with Fran and uh, not really a spat, but a little back and forth. Uh, with uh, Matt Miller, Bleacher Report. I'm going to stand up for my man Fran here just because just, uh, he won't do it. He's, he's too classy. He's too high road. But 
See, I didn't. I'm not familiar with this. Well, planet, so. you know, they, it was. It I was, don't follow Matt Miller. It was the stuff why. calling calling Byron Jones a workout war. No, a this workout was about winner. Prashad Perryman. It's like I brought it to Byron Jones a little bit. Right, it started it's the, with but Perryman. it's the two of them. It started with Perryman. Okay. Like, uh, like no one talked about these guys as first round picks until the combine, which is not really true. Not really the case. And both Perryman and Jones back up the numbers on tape. You know, Perryman was very productive. Only player with at least 50 catches and over 20 yards of catch in the entire in, in college football. Byron Jones, I think, is going to be a top 23 pick. I think he's going to be the second cornerback off the board. Yeah, I think he might be right. So he's he's not a workout winner. I believe he will be a high pick. All right. Okay. I like it. Uh, the flip side to that is I believe our friend Ifo, uh, Ekpre Olamu, who has been, Ifo, you know, Ekpre, we, Olamu, Ifo, and so good from Merrill. That's great. Yeah. Um, and we heard a lot about Ifo just throughout the draft process because of the Oregon connection. We heard, you know, even in the fall we were hearing about him. But he's so short. I don't think he can play on the outside. He's also coming off the ACL. Yeah. I, I would be surprised if he's picked in the first. I would be, I would be shocked if he's a, a day two pick. I think he's going to be a fifth round pick something like that and i don't think people expect that yeah and part of it was real you know he was uh publicized as a 510 corner and he came in sub 59 yeah you know so i mean if you're 5087 uh and obviously coming off the acl is going to be an issue for a corner especially someone that's going to play in the slot uh you know there's going to be questions there yeah so there you go um higher i think uh i think minnesota tight end max williams will slide into the back end of the first round Uh, not slide rise into the back end of the first round um, I think people are talking to him about him like a second round pick, but I think he is far and away the best tight end in the class. I think somebody will will recognize that, and I also think he's uh, worthy of of a first round pick. I don't think it's just because of of a lack of good tight ends in the draft. I think he sort of can do it all. Yeah, Ebron, uh, Eric Ebron, a year ago uh, was probably a better prospect, you know, and, and obviously that reflected that he went in the top fifteen. Uh, but I, I liked Williams more than I liked Ebron. Uh, just as a player, you know, I, I think he brings the total package. He's got the athleticism. I think his value as a blocker is a little bit undersold, you know, in, in the consensus and the group think. But uh, I think Williams can do it all. I think he's a first round pick. And he can create mi- mismatches yep. for offenses. That's I mean, that's what teams are trying to do. You know, he's young, underclassman. I know it's a big bow trait right there. He is 20 year, 21 years old. 21 years Red old. Richard sophomore. Right after my heart. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and and <laughs> and he looks just like Josh Norris. And he's yes. got an extra X, so he can give you those X plays. Oh, look at that! <laughs> there you go. Okay. Uh, as far as a slider, uh, I'm going with, and I've talked about I've talked about this player in the past as me not being very high on him, but uh, Duke wide receiver Jamison Crowder. Um, you know, at the Senior Bowl, people were talking about him like, you know, like he was some some dynamo uh, who could go in the second third round. He's 5'8", 185, ran a four five six. Uh, I just, I just do not see it with Jamison Crowder. I don't think he's a, a, going to be picked in the first four rounds either. See, I, I don't know that he's going to get picked in the first four rounds, but I do kind of hold out hope that he can be a good player because I think he did have a good week down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, eh. He's got some quickness to him, eh. obviously, and he's going to need that quickness. And I, he's going to be a slot guy, to, you know, to pigeonhole him. I mean, he's going to be a slot guy. He's but. Joe Adams. I think Joe Adams was a little bit in terms of more. He was more of an explosive deep threat. I think this guy's more of a, uh, you know, a screen guy. He's going to run option routes over the middle of the field. I think he can bring that to you. He probably will be a fourth round pick just because there's so many receivers. I think he will maybe probably be, but he's not going to be in second, third round conversation. No, I don't, I don't think believe. so. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. My next riser will be Quan Alexander, the linebacker from LSU, and and Fran just finished going through the 
the off-ball linebackers last week uh, raved about Quan Alexander, so I'm mostly taking his word for it because <laughs> uh, because I trust him. But uh, certainly has the size and athleticism you're looking for. Almost six one, uh, ran a four five five, and he, he plays. Faster he ran than that. faster than Jameson Crowder. Okay, That's and he right. plays faster than that. Uh, only twenty years old, which is very very key. I think he'll be a second round pick. Probably, I think he could be the second linebacker taken. He could be. Uh, not at pass rusher. Right. Know, sure. Take that. Yeah. Right. Um, and I do have to admit uh, that I watched Taiwan Jones with Fran, my good friend from the Shrine Game. <laughs> it wasn't there. It was. Mm. Just didn't say I it. I have to. I have to. I have to come clean and say that that Taiwan is not who I thought he was. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just you a com- step slow. Yeah, when you compare those two players, I mean, it's, it's night and day. <laughs> Quan Alexander was one of the uh, <laughs> the funnest players to watch on tape all year. Uh, he plays sideline to sideline every single play. Uh, and he's not just a run and chase guy. He takes on blockers. He takes on pulling guards and, and tackles at the second level and sheds them, shows the ability to get off the block and make a play on the ball. Uh, he's got good ball skills. I mean, he does it all uh, that you're going to ask a linebacker to do. Uh, we'll fall step here and there, but I think if you put him in a role as a weak side linebacker, he's going to thrive. All right, and my last uh, slider is Miami running back Duke Johnson. Um, just because he gets sort of talked about in that, in that second group of running backs, uh, beyond Gurley and, and Melvin Gordon to some. And I think he's a step below those guys because I don't think that he can be a, a three-down running back. You know, at, at 5'9", 207, uh, I, don't, I, I don't see him succeeding there. Uh, and there are so many res- running backs in this class that can do that, I think. Uh, I don't think Duke Johnson will be a second-round pick. I think he's more of a third, fourth-round pick. I'll be interested to see what happens with him because I think if a team is looking for a complimentary back, he may, you know, that he may boost up a little bit for that particular team. So, uh, you know, if there's a team that's looking for their Geo Bernard or if there's looking for their Darren Sproles or, uh, you know, a player like that to be a complimentary player to that feature back they already have in tow, you know, he could be that. But guy. I think there are other options who could do that and also project to, to be, end up being third down running backs. Although Duke Johnson sure. as as a receiver, two. yeah, sure. But Duke Johnson as a receiver, I mean, it's him and Amir Abdullah. I think Jay Ajayi brings some receiving threat, but. Th- uh, Ajayi isn't the kind of athlete that, that Duke Johnson is. So, uh, you know, there's some give and take. I'll be interested to see ultimately where he ends up, what his draft slot is, and what team he ends up on. All right, so for my pick six, I'm a little more of an optimist. So I went for more risers than sliders. So okay. so apologize if that, you know, was not the intent of the exercise here. Uh, I'll start with a riser, and I think you got to start with a position that always gets drafted higher than expected. What's funny is that this was your, your this was your idea for picks. Well, my eyes <laughs> overall, yeah, yeah, right. I didn't say three and three okay, okay. divvied up. So um, I'm gonna start with a quarterback. I'm gonna go Garrett Grayson, who we've talked about here on the program. Uh, you go back to high school. He played in the spread system. Shows good athleticism. Played in the pro style in college. So certainly teams are gonna be able to project him a lot easier than some of the other quarterbacks in this draft class. Uh, a little bit under the rare because he didn't go to one of the top-notch schools. You know, it wasn't you know it wasn't the Heisman winner like Mariota. Didn't win a national championship like Winston here before. But this is a position that it's just you look in the past, it always gets drafted higher than expected, and it's, that's sort of what I went in. Uh, I went in with this mindset with this exercise. So I think Grayson could be that player. Could be possibly the third quarterback. But I don't think I don't think that's necessarily. I mean, if what do you think? Could he be a, a late first-round pick? Uh, probably a second round pick, possibly, and I don't. I, don't I think, think, but I think really that's where that. most people would say that he. I don't know. I don't I think, think he was in that really that conversation though. It seemed like he. It, it was almost like you had Hunley and Petty yeah, sort of as the next year. 
you know, so you know, you're probably looking maybe end of day two, probably. You know, I think he yeah. could be higher on day two than I expect. I don't think he's gonna be a first round pick. I don't think okay. he's gonna get that high. But I think I think people would be very I think people would be very surprised if he went uh, in the second round. So okay. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll stick with another. I'll I'll go with with one of my sliders. I think Doro Green Beckham. Get negative. There we Let's go. Let's get negative. Yeah. I know. It's tough for me. I'm it's go fun. With, it's fun to be negative. Their glass is almost empty there. Yeah. It is almost empty <laughs> there. So I'm gonna go Doro Green Beckham. You know, off the field. You look at. Some of the top receivers in the game today. You look at Calvin Johnson. You look at Larry Fitzgerald. You look at AJ Green. These are some top-notch guys off the field. It's the wide receiver position, not the diva position that it used to be. And you have a player coming in door group back who has the size, the athleticism. Now, there's some question about his route running. Was a limited route runner in his time at Missouri, so he still has to develop. So it's not like he's finally, re- he's not, you know, totally refined in all the aspects of his game. You have the off-the-field concerns, I think. And with, on top of that, all these other talented receivers that there aren't as many question marks, I think he can slide down. And I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. I don't know how far he slides, but I think he's not going to go as uh, high as people expect him to. That's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's going to come down to how comfortable do, do, would a team feel. And you you brought up, it's not just the off-field. I mean, there's on-field that's, con- and concerns. And that's why well. I consider Because if, if, if he was on the field, if he was you know a refined prospect – then you probably are more likely to look past the off the field stuff. Yeah, I think the practice. yeah, as you mentioned, I think the key is that if you're thinking about if you're thinking about making him your pick, there are other options who are not yes. too dissimilar in terms of prospects who who are worthy of that pick. All right. So I'm gonna go I'll go with my other slider here. And it's already being sort of discussed in the media, but I think it could slide even farther, and that's Randy Gregory. Mm-hmm. Pass rusher from him. Nebraska. And you talk about so there's the failed drug test, which that's in and to itself, but it's more of a red flag because of decision making right. at that time. You know, this is a time when you know everyone's looking at you. It's your job interview. This is your chance. To, you know, you're, you're millions of dollars on the line, and you fail a drug test. It's just a, it's just a bad decision. It shows immaturity. So that's the my question with him there. And then you go on the field. Look, he could be the best pass rusher, natural pass rusher in this draft class. In a draft class full of very good ones, I'm a little concerned about the weight though. You know, a little undersized going into the combine. He yeah. has been gaining weight, but he has to be able to show that he can play with that added weight. So between the, the weight concern, between the off-field, I think even though that he is a talented pass rusher, I think he can slide down farther than expected. Where at one point I think it was almost presumed that he would be a top-ten pick, whereas now you're probably seeing, you could potentially see end of round as one. A, as a player, Fran, would you be happy with him at 20? As a player, sure, and and actually to the point uh, of his weight too. I just I think it was Ross Tucker uh, on his podcast brought up uh, that Jason Taylor, who he works with at NBC Sports, mm-hmm. uh, played at two thirty five his entire career. Okay. So uh, you know, weight may not necessarily now look if they're going to ask him to play, you know, over the tackle, you know, head up on a tackle, down after down after down. Sure, then then it's going to come into play. But if he's going to play in space, that may not you know be as uh, you know have as big of an effect. All right, so for some of my risers, this one, I think of defensive linemen as an, another position group that usually could go higher than expected. And I look at a guy here who is 6'5", 329 pounds, very good athlete. Fran. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it would, be, would it be shocking if everybody watching the, the podcast is like, is he really 6'5"? He is. He is. Uh, Fran has 37-inch arms. This player has almost 35-inch arms. Jordan Phillips. Nose yeah. tackle from Oklahoma. Some mocks have him late first round, but 
I feel like when you have someone with that size, athletic talent, who hasn't quite put it together yet, I think I think a team is going to be. Yeah, I think he's uh, mid. I think he's I, a mid first round. Yeah, pick. when I first watched him, I was blown away because I I didn't know much about him going in, uh, and I watched him before the combine, and I was really shocked at what I saw. I, I, he's got. To me, he's got top 15 kind of upside because of his athleticism. Guys like that that are that big don't move like that. I think he's one of those uh, those guys that can do a standing backflip at his weight and you know can do all these different things athletically. But Just like Fran can. That's right. Um, but Phillips, is, he'll be one to watch. I wouldn't be shocked if he went that high, so I would agree with that. And I think Malcolm Brown is, is similar to that. I think they yeah. might both go ahead of Danny Shelton. Sure. Uh, my next one, uh, another off-the-ball linebacker, Eric Kendricks who has been discussed by some as a possible first round. I think that was more like earlier in the draft process, like, you know, early around the combine you saw mm-hmm. mocks with them. You don't see as many there. But when you have someone who can play all three downs, great instincts, would strengthen the middle of your defense, very productive in college with a Buckus Award winner, not the perfect size, but, you know, again, he can play all three downs. He's not going to be a liability. I think he would be a good uh, – a good leader for the middle of a defense. Rem- sort of reminds me of when the Ravens took Arthur Brown at the end of the mm. uh, first round yeah. a couple of years ago. I think I think something like that could happen. Yeah, I could see that. And my last one, uh, it's a boring choice. Offensive line, Cam Irving from Florida State. Uh, just going with the, you know, the Zach Martin model. You know, just a guy that you can plug in day one. Could be a very good starter for your team, or should project to be a very good starter for your team. Um, you know, not getting a lot of buzz as a first round pick but I could just see a team saying you know what we're gonna use a first round pick on this guy he's gonna start for us they see other teams having success with this model they're gonna try to emulate I could see him being a first round selection I could see that I could see a team you know doing what like Dallas did with Travis Frederick a couple years back for sure so that's gonna do it for our pick six now who had the honor of entering Tyler Sambrello that would be Bo Wolf that would be Bo Wolf I think did we talk about skiing we may have brought up uh, the, his trick shot ski uh, ski history. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit with Ty Sambrello from Colorado State. The unofficial visit. All right, we are here with offensive lineman Ty Sambrello from Colorado State, one of the higher-rated offensive line prospects in this draft. And, and Tyler, how has the, the week gone for you so far going up against this stacked level of competition? You know, you know, first of all, it's been a great experience just you know, being here and having the opportunity to play against this uh, you know, high-level high level talent. Um, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. You know, you, you know who you're competing against, and they're the best in, in the nation, and, you know, you're, you're touted as, as being a good player. So it's, it's a good matchup to go against some talent like that. What is the uh, what is the camaraderie level like when you're you know you're you know that you're competing against these guys to to be drafted ahead of them, but you're also here sort of nominally as a team. You know, I think as an offensive lineman, you know, it's a little different than you know maybe some other positions because we really have to work together yeah. for any of us to be successful. Um, so I think it's it's a little less you know about the me mentality and and it's more about you know us being successful as a unit. And uh, you know, obviously, when it's when it's your time to go, you know, you go. But I think working together, it's it's been you know pretty easy. That's very philo- philosophical. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to uh, the scouting report on you as a player, for fans who may not have seen you play, what are what are the things that you do very well, and what are the things that maybe you need to work on a little bit? You know, I think I uh, you know move my feet pretty well. Um, you know, light on my light on my toes and, and can dance with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I need to work a little bit on my uh, hand placement when I punch. It's kind of something that I need to keep honing in and just kind of overall strength. I need to keep, you know, continuing to build that and, and get stronger and develop. 
would you rather uh, would you rather pass block for a, a record breaking passer or uh, pave the way for a, a record breaking running back? You know, I I think I'd be fine with a combination of both. Okay. Um, I'm a huge fan of, you know, the run game and, and you know, getting after people. But, right. you know, the passing's kind of like an art. You know, it's an art form, pass blocking. So, you know, they both have, they're both different, mm -hmm. you know, completely different animals, but they're both, you know, equally satisfying. Two things we always like to ask offensive linemen about when it comes to the, the Eagles scheme. The first one, versatility. You feel like you can move around the line a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, played everything but center. So I think, uh, you know, I can, I can be a – Fit and plug wherever, sure. wherever I end up you and know, then, being needed. All right. The other one, athleticism, is what we always talk about with the Eagles. You feel like you can, you know, pull across the line, get to the second level, all that, all that stuff. You know, I've always loved pulling. I like getting out in space and you know, kind of getting to show, show mm -hmm. some wheels and you know, be light on my feet. You got good wheels for alignment. So you know, I do all right. I okay. Do all right. Um, so I think athletically, you know, I fit. I fit well with that you know, <laughs> mentality and that that line. Have you always been a football guy, or did you play other sports growing up? I, I ski raced when I was really, uh, you know, growing up when I was young. So, uh, you know, used to do a lot of that. Yeah. Were you the Were, were you the biggest of the ski racers? You know, there was always one other guy and I that were kind of the tallest and okay. the biggest, and you know, we'd always compete for for that number one spot. So Does that help you, like gravity wise? Like the, you fall faster because you're bigger? You know. I didn't do that well in physics, but I think gravity okay. has the same effect on everybody. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it was, I mean, I was pretty young. I was only 12, okay. so I was a lot smaller. And, you know, I've been uh, just fortunate to, to yeah. have that experience. And, and then when you did go to football, were you an offensive lineman the whole time, or did you did I you started at quarterback. Okay. Yeah, started at quarterback as a freshman in high school, and uh, played some defense throughout my high school career and moved to tackle my sophomore year and you know been and that was tackle it. since. Any uh, any offensive lineman in the league who you look up to as sort of a, a comparison for you or someone you hope to be like? You know, being from the Bay Area, I've watched a lot of Niner football. That's kind of who I grew up watching. Sure. So Joe Staley has been someone that, you know, I've tried to model my game after and just how he plays with his athleticism and, you know, he's just a fantastic guy. It's a long, long, great career. Yeah. I'm sure you'd like to have that as yep. well. Yep. All right, well, Ty, maybe we'll see you in Philadelphia one day, awesome. but best of luck throughout the draft yep. process. Hopefully, we'll see. On the clock. All right, fellas, it's time for another new game. Oh, oh wow. Another new, another new game. Late in the process. Late in the process. Uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, self-explanatory game. It's called, uh, it's called uh, The Round and the Fury. The Round and the Fury? Yeah, okay. I thought about like round by round, whatever. But okay. the round and the fury. Basically, I'm just going to name a player. I'm going to be honest. The name needs work, but we'll go. We'll keep going. That's okay. It, well, it <laughs> signifies nothing, of course. <laughs> uh, I'm going to name a player, and we're going to say what round you think they're going to go in. Okay. I got one for each position. Okay. Go. Garrett Grayson. I'll say second round. Okay. Uh, I'll say third round. I uh, will say second round. All right. We'll move on since we already talked about Grayson. No. Uh, Michigan State running back Jeremy Langford. Third round. Uh, I'm going to go sixth round for Jeremy Langford. Sixth I think round. he's getting a little overhyped. Explosive, downhill. I think he's a gap scheme guy, but I think he's more of a complimentary player. I will say I'll say fourth round for Jeremy Langford. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Stanford wide receiver Ty Montgomery. Fifth round. Uh, that's a, I, I'll, go, uh, I'll go sixth round to get away from C-Mac. I'll go sixth round. Got to get away from C-Mac. Uh, I was, I was going to say fifth, so he took um, it from me. I'm going to say fourth round. All right, there you okay. go. There All right, go. so we all say he was a day three guy. Okay. Uh, tight end, Southern Illinois' Michael Pruitt, oh, the combine superstar. I'm going to go fourth round. 
I, I think he's a little bit on the smaller side. He tested, obviously, through the roof, but uh, I don't think he's put everything together yet. So I'm going to go fourth round. I'll agree. I don't mind Ooh, uh, sharing the opinion. No. I mean, I can't make, be, be I your can't own person, make it a clean that. sweep. Give me the fifth round. There you go. Uh, all right, this is an interesting one because uh, Lance Zierlein insists that this player will be a first-round pick. Tackle Cedric Abui from Texas a You know, I almost put him as one of my risers. This is a prospect who you read things on both ends of the spectrum. And it's, a, it's already a class of offensive line prospects where we said this at the top of the show that you're not quite sure where they're going to fall. There's really no you know, clear pecking order among them. I mean, who is going to be the, the first offensive lineman selected? Everyone's I think, sure. assuming it's going to be Brandon Scherf, yeah. but you know, just because maybe you can plug him in at guard at day one. Uh, I'll go. I'll go first round. Lance is very good with the offensive line, so I will go round one. Because it, again, who was Jawan James? Yeah, last year. I yeah. mean, there was that guy. That's fair. Uh, I'll go second round, and I, I I've kind of thought throughout the process that that's kind of what he was. Um, the ACL, you know, may or may not have changed that, that a little that's bit. That's the that's the one determining factor. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, I'll go second round if he if he thinks that you know if someone's telling him obviously that he's not getting out of round one. Uh, so. We'll see. Uh, I'll take second, I'll take second round as well. Yeah. All right. All right. Tell I'll me about Oregon center Ronus Grasso. Hmm. Ronus. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go second round with Ronus as well. Mm. I think I think he's the best center available. Um, can play a number of different schemes, but will be best fit for his own scheme. So I'll go uh, Ronus Grasso in round two. I'll say third to be different than Fred on this one. Oh, but I could go. I could you know I probably would lean towards second, but. We'll say third, just just because. I I say second as well. Second as well. This yeah. is a bonus one. Let's talk about Ali Marpet. Ooh, Ooh this, this is a, good is one. a like very good one. one. That's probably who I should have put there. So let's do let's do him again. <laughs> mm. All right, Ali Marpet. We'll, we'll pretend that one's a guard, one's a center, and then that, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, there you go. We'll break it up. Uh, Ali Marpet. I'm going to say that he's going to go in the third round. You know, I, I think small school. Uh, there's a number of guys in this interior o line class. It's a very good group of interior linemen. Um, so. You know, he may get bumped a little bit, but uh, I'm going to say Marpet third round. Bumped up or down a little bit? Down. Down. You know, because I, I think some people, I've seen some people think he could go round two. So, you know, I'm going to go round three. I'll be different. I'll say round two on this one. Good I, week at Senior Bowl. The, obviously, the question is going to be the competition playing at Hobart, but uh, I'll, I'll go with second I, round. I was on the fence. I'm glad you did it so that I can stick with the third round. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to do it. Yes. All right. D-line. Stanford's Henry Anderson. Taylor Hart 2.0. Mm. You know, with him, it's going to be interesting. And obviously, I think he's a best, best he, fit for a 3 4 He's not for everybody. He's not for everybody. So uh, that will affect where he gets drafted. Uh, you know, Taylor Hart last year lasted as long as he did because he couldn't work out before the draft, uh, you know, for everybody. So, you know, Henry Anderson in this class, Mr. I'm going to say the third round. And I and I I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the second, but I'm going to go third. Yeah, I'll stick with third. Stick with third. I'll stick with third for for Anderson. I mean, the Eagles had was a third round I'm grade on with, I'm Taylor gonna go, Hart. I'm going to go with the fourth round. Interesting. Uh, he's a good player. He's he could go player. in the second round. Yep. But because he's not for everybody, I'm going to go with the fourth round. Sure. Now this is a player who who uh, is the most mocked player to the Eagles in the seventh round in seventh <laughs> round mocks. Oh boom! Oh boom! Guachem. I don't, I don't think he lasts the seven round. I don't yeah. believe so either. I agree. 
I'm gonna I'll go first. I'm gonna say he is a fifth round pick. Ooh. Six. I'll just jump in there. Make Fran have to decide. Yeah. Which one uh, of the two. Um, I'm gonna say the sixth round. I'm gonna say the sixth round. You know, I, I don't know that he's gonna last till seventh. Um, but he's got enough potential, I think, that he'll he'll earn that that sixth round pick. Okay. Uh linebacker or safety to some, Shaq Thompson. Ooh. I think he's a second round pick. Done and done. Yeah, I think he's a second round pick. Yeah. Pegged in the second. Um, second. Yeah, I, I think he's got obviously the athletic traits are there. Um, he played through injury for the latter latter part of uh, last season, uh, so you know he's got some toughness traits. Uh, I think he can play within the box, but his be- his best role would be in a weak side position where he can kind of chase the ball and and move around a little bit. But he can play in coverage. Uh, he can defend the run. So he he's got some ability. I just don't know if he's going to be a first round pick. I'm trying I'm trying to think of those teams at the end of round one who. Possibly, yeah, maybe New Orleans. That. You know, New Orleans. I could see, uh, you know, taking a stab. They they have that pick at the end of uh, yeah. round one. Um, yeah, you know, the, the reports are that they're trying to improve that defense. Um, you know, the, he would make some sense there for them. I'll still go second round. Yeah, yeah me too. All right, sorry, clean sweep. Yeah. All right, cornerback, Eric Rowe. I think I think Eric Rowe is a second round pick, and I think that. Some teams will look at him as a corner. I think some teams will look at him as a safety. I think he's a corner. Bo, I know you agree. You see him as a corner, too. Um, but in the safety class, some teams may pick him and, and say, no, we want him to play safety for us. Um, but I, I think he's a second-round pick. Now, I think he could be a first-round pick. I think that someone could take an, uh, an early jab at him in, in round one. But ultimately, in this corner class, I think he goes to round two. I believe he is a first-round pick. There I was going to go first-round because of that versatility, because of the lack of safeties in this this class perceived lack of safeties. I mean, yeah, I'm going first, first round. round. Okay, all right, last one. Demarius Randall from Arizona State. I'll say second round, and for you know similar reasons to to Rowe. I mean, yeah, a hefty second round, Fran. Well, well. there's not going to be a lot of players <laughs> left. No, and that's the thing. A lot of people uh, we talked about uh, Mayock having eight guys in the first round. A lot, of, you know, there are maybe 50 different players that may go in round one. It's yes. just one of those drafts, but. Yeah. Maybe in other drafts he may not go that high, but in this draft I think I think he could go that high. I'll go second in the second round. I think he could be pick number thirty-two to the New England Patriots. I've, I've seen that a couple times. I've seen it, so it wouldn't it wouldn't completely sh- uh, surprise me. Although they did give uh, McCourty a ton of money, so be, qu- be a question: Would they want to spend? The well, the thing is that that Bill is just going to trade down a couple of spots and then True. take him. Yeah. So then he is a second round pick. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Where do you think Nate Orchard goes? Oh, that's an interesting one. I think Nate Orchard's going to be a third-round pick. You think Nate Orchard's going to yeah, be a third-round pick? Yeah, some people were talking about him in the, in, the, in the second round, and I remember early in the process people were talking about him high, you know, or, uh, late in the first round. But, uh, you know, he, he's got some ability. I liked him the more that I watched him. Well, you know who likes him the more that they listen to him? Our listeners. Our listeners. Let's talk to Nate Orchard. The Unofficial Visit. All right, we are here with Nate Orchard from Utah. Nate, for Eagles fans who may not know, give us the scouting report on what kind of player you are. Um, versatile. I can get to the quarterback. I can drop back into the coverage, have my hand down on the ground, and um, play that t- position where I'm guarding tight end. When you go to bed at night dreaming about making a big play, is it sacking the quarterback, making an interception, or, or stopping a running back in the backfield? Oh, sack fumble. Sack fumble is the, the best thing coming around the edge. Uh, 
you know, just, just punishing the quarterback and getting the ball out of his hands so our defense can super score is the best feeling. So what are the expectations for you this week here at the Senior Bowl, trying to prove yourself against some of the, the country's best? Uh, just showing that I can hold the edge on the run and uh, continue to my pass rush, you know, against some of the best offensive linemen here. Uh, just show what I'm capable of. Any, any players in the league who you sort of look up to or think you have a, maybe a similar game to? Uh, I look up to Dwight Freeney uh, for a long time now. Uh, he's one that, that's, that's, that's been my idol growing up. Who was your uh, favorite team growing up? Uh, Philadelphia. Really? So, well, well, tell us about it. Who was your favorite player? What, what, give uh, us that. Donovan McNabb. He was a man. Uh, Brian Westbrook, when he was there, he was, he was a stud. I got to love uh, one of my man, oh, safety, Don, or, or Brian, Brian Dawkins. Dawkins. There you go. Blank, but yeah, those are those guys. Are how did you how did you come to be an Eagles fan then? God, I don't know. My, actually, to be honest, my first time watching football when I was like 12 years old, actually loving it. Uh, so the Eagles, and that's how I just fell, fell in love. All right, well, maybe one day we'll get you in Philadelphia. Nate, any expectations for the draft come May when you hope to come off the board or anything like that? God, I just, just want to be the best I can be and just prove to Scott what I'm about. We like to ask guys who the uh, the best player you played against this season was. What would you say? Uh, Jake Fisher, for sure, Oregon. Okay, and then finally, give us a scouting report on Eric Rowe, your teammate from Utah. Oh, he's a stud. He's a stud. Uh, to have him uh, playing safety where he originally was, is, is good for him. Uh, he's loving that. He played corner all year. Um, it's good. It's a good transition for him. He's loving it. All right, well, Nate, best of luck, and maybe we'll see you in Philadelphia. So Thanks, man. It. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, it's time to end this show on a high note with our draft mailbag. We've got some very good questions uh, on our Twitter feed using the hashtag Eagles Draft to stir the conversation. And the first one comes from at RORBear14 wants to know. It's, it's weird with the handles because you don't know if you want to read all the time or spell it out. So uh, ROARBEAR14 wants to know who would be a bigger reach, Byron Jones at 20 or Eric Rowe at 52? Oh, I think neither is a reach. Neither is a reach. I would yeah. say I would say that Byron Jones is a slightly bigger reach at twenty, just because I think Eric Rowe is more valuable than fifty. Correct. We know that you yes. think Eric Rowe is a first round pick, but I think that I think that Byron Jones is is a top twenty talent. So yeah, I don't, I don't think I don't, either is a reach. I would agree. I don't think either is a reach. All right, next one comes from at Michael Cruz. Wants to know if Landon Collins is available at number twenty for the Eagles, will he be the pick? I don't sense it. Yeah, I think we all agree that the answer is no. Yes. That's the, the way that we see it. Yeah. He doesn't. I just don't think he's. He has the versatility. The versatility the, Agreed. The interchangeability that the Eagles are looking for. Although that if the and we talk, I I mentioned this before that if he were to get drafted, that I think he would, he could play that Nolan Cowell role as a dime player, and you would see more dime. But true. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, next one comes from at Apanius underscore Hugo wants to know about Landon Collins. Okay, assuming Landon Collins is available at twenty. Wouldn't it be better to take him as the best safety on the board or the best safety in this draft class versus taking, say, the third or fourth best cornerback? And to me, it doesn't matter who the best safety is. If the best safety isn't that good, Lenny Collins might be a good player, but <laughs> if, if still, if he's not the best player, it doesn't matter if the third or fourth corner, if it's a third or fourth cornerback. It'd still be better than... Totally agree. I mean, that's... You can also make the case that cornerback is a more important position. Yep. Um, you can also say that, that some people don't believe that Landon Collins is the best safety in the class. Uh, so, uh, a pain, yes, I believe that uh, it depends on the board. You just agree. can't force it. No, I mean, that's the bottom line. 100% right. Yeah. I mean, I understand safety is a need, and you need to figure out who's going to be your starter. 
alongside Malcolm Jenkins. But just because the perceived top guy is there doesn't mean that you want to have him on a team. Yeah, don't take the top kicker just because he's the best at his position. Exactly. Uh, the last one comes from at Bill 10 It's a Marcus Mariota question. Throws out the scenario, what if the Jaguars were to take Mariota at number three and then offer him up for a trade? Now, to me, it's just too risky because you can draft him. Then it's like, all right, Jaguars, you have him. It's almost like yeah, they, they have no the, leverage. Exactly. If they've, if they've already taken him. Exactly. Because, um, I mean, it's like, okay, I mean, know. I think if in that scenario they would just be holding – pick number three up for ransom. They That's exactly what it is. Pick him. Exactly. Because if they pick him, then teams yeah. might be like, all right, you're stuck now with two number three overall picks at quarterback in back-to-back uh, -back years. Would you? Ra Here's the question, though. Would you rather have Sam Bradford or Blake Bortles? I, I didn't watch much of Blake Bortles last year to see how he progressed. I know that uh, Greg Cosell was high on him early, and there were some mechanical things that he had needed to work through, and he struggled a little bit on the back end of the That's season. That's what he saw on the tape? That's what he saw on the tape. Okay. He, he does watch the tape. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know that. So I mean, that that would be the question. And obviously, look, when you're comparing Sam Bradford to any quarterback, you can't, you can't. You, obviously, the injuries play a part. But everyone said, I, I hear this on the radio actually when I was driving in uh, a couple days ago. Okay. Like, oh, how can you rank? Uh, how can you rank Sam Bradford against the Andy Dalton and Colin Kaepernick and Cam Newton? He doesn't play. And it's like, okay, well, obviously, you're not <laughs> ranking an injured Sam Bradford against anybody. That doesn't make any sense. Right. But Bo know. Wolf is better than an injured right. Sam Bradford. I mean, that's, that's silly, but. Um, but that's yeah. maybe, that's might argue maybe that not he's... true. Actually, uh, if I if I played quarterback for the Eagles for all sixteen games, do you think I would throw one touchdown? Yeah, they'd probably find a way down on the goal line to throw like play action or something. <laughs> I don't think it would be on the goal line because it's too it's too congested. I think it would have to be on like a like a third and one or something where they're just selling out to stop the run and 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 I hit somebody down the field. <laughs> Down the field, huh? <laughs> well, I, I, no, no. Somebody uncovered. Some like like somehow someone is uncovered. All right. That's, I, I think the defense the defense is not respecting my arm. No question about that. All right. Yeah. I, I like think. the goal line option. You know, Darren Sproles punt return to the one, and then you throw a jump you ball roll, to Jordan rolls, Matthews. He rolls out to the right and you know hits a moving target. How many passes do you think Chip would let me throw? That might be the one per game. That might be the one. I think yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think, one for one for a touchdown though. That's right, a heck of a career. Yeah, like Julian Edelman. On that note, it's going to do it for the Journey to Drive podcast presented by AAA. So uh, next week, Tony Pauline That's right, in studio, studio for all the latest buzz. And uh, hopefully by next week, the uh, list of prospects who have been invited to Chicago will come out. There you sometimes go. you can find some clues about where mm -hmm. players are going to go from that list. So we get inside the mind of an insider next week. We certainly do. And uh, Tony P. Bo's best friend. My best friend. I, got I don't know to, if I, I get to pick him up at 30th Street Station. That's right. Really? Yeah, friend, ma friends making. It. <laughs> <laughs> I asked nicely. Show four. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a good. It'll be a good ride. No. Yeah, I just hope I get a tip. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna plenty of tips on the podcast. There you go. There you go. So for Bowell, Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Everyone have a great Eagles Day. <laughs>